Build Radio, Episode 9. Okay, so we know that Build is definitely in the building. Make some noise, Build! Deal solve real problems. Build future. Deal solve real problems. There's a lot of gun violence in my community. I always have to be careful when I go out to the streets because, like, I never know when they're going to start shooting. Carlos was uh, 18 years old. He was gunned down when she was only 15 years old. You're not going to do this to my city. You're not going to do this to our children. We need help. We need help now. We need to stop it now. You are listening to B.O. Radio. How B.O. made me feel, made me feel like I'm in a safe haven, like I'm protected, I'm guarded. How do I feel about B.O.? I feel like they're going to help me make it in life. It just makes me feel at home, like I have people that care about me here. I look at B.O. like family, so they mean a lot to me. It make me feel like I'm smart, like I'm a part of something good instead of being a part of some violence or something bad. I feel loved when I come to B.O. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to the ninth installment in our Build Radio podcast series. We've got an amazing episode for you coming up this hour, from youth stories and thought pieces to song and spoken word to a youth-led talk show and an interview with a community leader whose nonprofit is working alongside Build to transform the West Side. We're highlighting a few of the so many things that we're thankful for this holiday season. When a lot of people think of the holidays, they think of Thanksgiving or Christmas, good food, family, gifts, maybe a tree or a crackling fireplace. But more so, they think of feeling safe, of feeling welcome somewhere, of feeling warm. But the holidays aren't always so easy. And in communities overwhelmed by unemployment, poverty, and violence, they can be especially difficult. But for 50 years, Build is proud to have been a home and have been a family to tens of thousands of Chicago's at-risk youth. Because we believe everyone deserves something to smile about this time of year. So keep in mind as you listen to this episode that we're able to bring those smiles to thousands and thousands of young people year after year after year only because of the kindness of people like you. People who don't just look the other way when someone needs help. People who see the boots on the ground approach that Build has been pioneering for 50 years and think, that's what Chicago needs more of. And if you choose to, Know Your Donation will help us provide holiday meals, gifts, and warm clothing throughout the communities that we serve. This holiday season, we invite you to support Build as we spread joy to those who need it most. So without further ado, what better way to kick off than with showing what your support can offer young people, as one of our favorite youth hosts leads his crew through a talk segment they call the Hall of Fame Show. Don't touch that dial or screen. We'll be back in a jiff. This is Charles Peanut Tillman. This is Commissioner Boykin. Hi, I'm Sam Macho. I'm George McCaskey. This is U.S. Senator Dick Durbin, and you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to... You are listening to Build Radio. Build Radio. Build Radio. Build Radio. Build Radio. Yo, how it going there, everybody? Y'all know it's the house show. You know, we get everybody on the show. Uh, going here, we going to have a cast say their name. My name is Cedric. My name is K1. My name is Jeffrey. Y'all know how we do it. Episode we do a real and we do a good. So uh, we gonna we gonna keep it we gonna keep it real this episode. All right. All right. All right. All right. So uh, first let's talk about why we want to do the show. We want to do this. Well, I want to do this show because it's a way for me to stay away from the bad. Yeah. Jeffrey, why you want to do the show? I wanted to do this show because it's fun and entertaining. Yeah. Kevin, you got an example? 
Nah, he don't got one. Go ahead. Right. Just finish. Why I would want to do the show is because it's fun, it's entertaining, and it helps kids build opportunities to be something in their life. Okay? Uh, okay, let's talk about some good and bad things in our community. Okay. Good Go ahead. is, like, good jobs. Bad is the violence. All right, um, an example of bad violence is young innocent kids dying or any black males dying either. An example of good is like you saying no to drugs, saying no to alcohol, being being uh good, doing good in your class, getting good grades, stuff like that. My example of a good environment is having opportunities like build, having people that you know go protect you yeah. and guide you the right way, not lead you any harm. What do you want to be when you get older, Cedric? When I get older, I want to be an NBA player. You? When I get older, I want to be a boxer. You? I want to be an entrepreneur. When I get older, I want to only be an NFL player. I'm wrong with that. Okay, so let's talk about a funny segment today. No, 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 no. Let's talk about... Talk about... Uh, where we are from. Okay, well... Being me, I'm I'm from you know the west side of Chicago. Grew up around here. Said where you from? I'm from the west side of Chicago. Grew up. I want I ain't from around here, but I'm from around here. I've been over here for like nine years, but I'm from Lundell neighborhood. True that. Where you from, Kiwan? I'm from Chicago, the west side. Just where hey, you I'm from? I'm from uh, the west side. Yeah. Let's name hey. a challenge in our life. Oh. A challenge. What is a challenge that you had to overcome? A triumph? Um, not being scared to throw the ball when we were playing football. At first I was scared, but now I'm not. True that, because you know how to throw. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> what is the challenge you had to overcome, Jeffrey? I had to overcome me, like, being in the streets and stuff like that. I got to overcome of being scared of other people. All right. Me, I had to overcome my stage fright. Because, yeah. you know, when I got up on stage, Me too. I froze. I was like, uh. When we first started doing this, I was kind of scared, but I wasn't. I'm not now. Bro, I'm used to it. You know, because people going to be listening, you know. Uh, but, um, like, like, how many how many challenges have y'all had to face in y'all life? I had a Too many. Too many. Yeah. Too many. Like your whole life? Yeah. Yeah, I know that's right. I know that's right. Yeah. Any of y'all go to church? Uh, not no more. Yeah, not no, no more. more. Not yeah. no more. It's off and on with me. I ain't going to say it. I ain't going to say yes or no because that's, that's unholy. <laughs> we just going to leave that alone. All right, come uh, on next. Let's, let's talk, talk about, about how, how we, we improve in our learning skills. Okay, so we so I can improve by uh, not getting like distracted by other people. Yeah, I mean, I can improve I get in, by not getting into fights. You know, let's improve. Let's talk about how we can. Uh, let's talk know. about how we can be safe and build. We always safe and build. Yeah, build is like a safe place, right? This is a yeah. place where we can just kick back and talk. Yeah, it's yeah. a place where everybody can feel like they welcome. Yeah, yeah welcome. Everybody yeah. feel at home.
that was the episode for the house show. We gonna catch Hall y'all later. You, heard, you know, you Hall of Fame. You heard, you heard, you heard. Peace out. Peace Bye. out. Peace out. Always a real fun group of guys, those guys. Definitely proud of all of them and, of course, Reggie for leading that all on his own. We're so thankful to be able to offer our young people opportunities to explore avenues like tech and broadcasting. Um, They've done some other work as well. Make sure to check out Reggie's little comedy podcast segment from Episode 5 or Jeffrey's Hip Hopra in Episode 2. Now, we're also thankful this season to be able to provide our youth with a safe place to perform. So many of the kids that come through Build are writers or singers or rappers or poets, and we wanted to make sure that we had a safe and supportive space for young people to be able to express their art, which inspired one of our newest programs, Mike 51, our open mic showcase series. From comedy to song to rap to storytelling to spoken word and even more, we're grateful to be able to offer such a platform to our kids. So for this episode, we invited one of those performers from our first open mic showcase to come into the studio and record what she had recited live. In a powerful and stinging piece, Tariana bounces between telling her own story and analyzing it within the framework of the experience of being black in America in this unique blend of prose and spoken word. My name is Tariana Rogers and I am 17. My mom is 35 with five kids, three boys and two girls. So around my house, I'm known as Mama Junior. And for those who have seen my mama, it is not because we look identical, but it is because of the benefits that I have of being the oldest. Well, more so because my brother and them know they have a better chance of getting what they want out of me. So it makes sense why every other night, one of them is tiptoeing downstairs to pick my lock and stand over me with that. I really want something, but I know it's late and I'm smiling like this because I don't want you to say no kind of smile. And it'd be like 10 o'clock when they know my mama already be asleep. And even though I know what to expect, I still wait for the, can I get a Twinkie or can I get some chips, please? And as soon as I say yeah to one, here comes the other three. And it just melts my heart to know that I'm the person they all look up to. And at the same time, it's like being crammed between a rock and a hard place, having only the cracks to glimpse through, because I won't always be there. I can't always be there. And it's the root of all my anxiety, because being black ain't no joke. And it's a shame that even before my black daddy could even think to strap up, it became his fault for mixing his black sperm with my mama's black eggs to create even more black kids. And it's a shame that even before my brothers were even thought of, before they were given their own names, they were already labeled as threats, forced out the womb with their limbs already tied up, like the shackles on my black men locked behind bars, constricted by the judgment of people who look nothing like me, placed into a cage of stereotypes that misconstrues the ideas of what's wrong and what's right by people who look nothing like my brothers. So believe me when I say that being black ain't no joke. It has become a necessity for my mama to constantly train my brothers for encounters with the police. And though it is sad to admit, I have to agree. And every time she begins to recite that speech, she gets down on her knees and my brothers look up at me. But I'm on my knees too, reassuring them that even I am in defeat. To avoid being the next Tamir Rice, Stephen Rosenthal, or Jordan Edwards, and speaking for all the other young men who couldn't live to see 18, I have to tell them, Mama's right, little bro, and now it's coming for me. I'm telling you, you better do as they say and wait until it's your turn to speak. And I'm sure most of y'all have heard some part of that speech, but it's just sickening that my brother's got to sit in here for me. I got a brother that's 14 with a 4.3, another who's 10, and despite being dyslexic, he still learned how to multiply and divide in two days. And another who is eight, reading better than some twice his age. And yet, they're already seen as a menace by the mainstream. 
And I'm not trying to program them to think that being black at home and being black in the streets means two different things, but hell, that's exactly how it seems. Instead, I'm trying to teach them the difference between not being too black, too authentic, or too real deal. And at the same time, I'm telling them you can't be too white, too proper, and too unreal. But this is the America that my brothers have to live in. And that's just the way it is. So to my brothers, from the words of Andrew Stone, you mean so much to me. You give me what I need, and I'm so proud of you. To my brothers, know that I'll always be your friend. I wake up at 5.30 every day to travel up north to break the trend that the only privileges we're getting are limited to what they're giving us. And I want you to know that I'm always fighting in your defense. The only way to provoke a change is to start by doing what we can. And like I said before, being black ain't no joke. And this is what it means to be American and a lover of all black men. And again, from Angie Stone, I love you for staying strong. You got it going on. I am so proud of you. We're thankful for young leaders like Tariana who, whether at home or in our brand build jewelry and entrepreneurship program, are able to see a vision for themselves and inspire others with their diligence, hustle, and positivity. We thank her for coming in to record that piece. Now, Build is growing in many ways, one of which is our clinical side. In the past year, we've grown from having two clinicians to 10, offering youth a safe and trusted outlet and partner in dealing with trauma, grief, loss, and emotional regulation. We're beginning to see the stigmas surrounding therapy dissipate and true healing begin. Build is thankful to be a place where young people can let their guard down and feel cared for and heard. We've seen this aura of emotional expression extend to our studio, where youth are able to come in to record and produce songs that they write. One of our up-and-comers is a young man who calls himself Beanard. He's performed at all of our open mics and allows himself to be vulnerable when he gets in the studio. He raps about friends he's lost, family, being homeless, mortality, and love. We're thankful our youth can use art and music as a way to express their emotions. In this reflection piece, Bernard shares some stories and thoughts about his late friend, who is the inspiration for one of his most recent songs. We'll hear Bernard celebrate his friend's memory and carry his legacy forward, and end with a clip of a track he recorded to honor him. My name is Bernard. I'm 19 years old, and I would like to talk about my brother, Big Bro Mike. Let us all rest in peace. Um, first off, you already know it's Mikey Real forever. And But, yeah, for the moment, me and Bro met. He always just had my back to whatever. And no matter what type of mood I was in or whatever the case may be, he always, you feel me? find a way to help me be my best self possible. And those around him, he just a ball of joy. Like, you can't help but to like and love this man. And then the face expressions to be making in videos and stuff be funny. <laughs> man, I just I miss his press, his laugh, our conversations. He used to bake me like a mother <laughs> I ain't gonna lie. But we used to be going at it. Man, big bro. He, he was the type of person that showed love to those when it mattered the most. And what I mean by that, he showed love all the time. He ain't gonna bug up on you if you don't disrespect him and no, you feel me, no way for him to shake. He loved his family, his OG, 
He stayed to himself. He always made sure everybody around him was straight. Man. Man. I don't even know what else to say. Tell my brothers, we gon' ball together, we gon' ball forever. Don't let Mike, Mike it's Mike, you wear forever. Yeah, we are no steppers. Told my brothers, we gon' ball together, we gon' ball forever. Don't let Mike, it's Mike, you wear forever. Yeah, we are no steppers forever. Me and my bros, we can never fall. Got it down here forever. Some real moving thoughts. And there's nothing like having a place to be able to come and process that through music. We're really excited to see what this young man's got in store for him coming up. And we're thankful that he's found a place to be able to create and perform and feel a sense of family. Now, we couldn't do an Attitude of Gratitude episode without hearing thoughts from all of our build youth. So next up, we've got a heartwarming Vox Pop style interview clip where participants from our digital media program spend some time interviewing their peers about what they're thankful for and why they're thankful for build. My name's Amarion and I'm 15. Well, I'm thankful for everything. My family, friends, the food, and the football games to be on TV. Are you thankful for Bill? I'm always thankful for Bill because like Bill just come together as one like a like a family, you just stay together. Like we we learn about the the dark past and all like all that and we try to figure out how we're going to solve the problems. What is your name and what is your age? I'm Imani, I'm 16. And what are you thankful for? I'm thankful for my mom, my dad, and my siblings. Are you thankful for Bill? Yes, because it's fun. Like, I get paid to do something that like I like to do. Jeffrey, 14. I'm thankful for Bill, my mama, my daddy, and God. What are your names? Zariah and Tariana. And how old are you? 16. I'm 17. All right, so what are you thankful for? Um, I'm most thankful for my mama. I'm most thankful for the love that I've received from everyone that I've encountered. Are you thankful for Bill? Yes, very thankful because like they um keep kids off the streets, like they really care for people. My name is Micaiah Martin. I'm 16 years old. Okay, what are you thankful for? I am thankful for basically life, my family, the people that support me. And why are you thankful for Bill? Build has opened up a lot of opportunities for me. They built a stepladder that nobody really ever built for me. So therefore, I'm thankful for everything that has done for me and they brought me into a new experiences that I haven't done before. My name is Nyla and I'm 13. I'm thankful for basically everyone. I'm thankful for my cat and I'm like thankful for school. I'm thankful for moving and stuff because I got to meet amazing people. So, and are you thankful for Bill? I certainly am. It's like my new, it's like my new second home. It's quite fun. My name is Captain Bernard Washington III. <laughs> I am 13 years old. <laughs> what are you thankful for, Captain? My mama, a head up, you know, clothes on my back, a roof over my head, you know, everything, the tools to be set for. I'm also thankful for Bill. They opened up a lot of opportunities for me here, you know jobs, college trips. I actually went to Washington this summer in August with them, so, yeah. My name is Rashad Rhodes, and I'm 14. Why are you thankful for, for everything you have? Because I live to see another day. And and are you thankful for Bill? Yeah. And why are you thankful for Bill? Because Bill 
they made me the person I am now. Like they supported me. Oh, that's my name is Xavier Gold. My age is nine. I'm thankful for Build because it gave us an opportunity to explore everything and like see the true meaning of of love. They show us the true meaning of love. Build made me the person I am now. You heard it straight from them, folks. We're so thankful to be able to be there for them and give them the tools and opportunities to succeed and transcend the negative storylines too often written by their neighborhoods. But Build is only one of the many nonprofits and community organizations working to transform the future of Chicago's West Side. So for the centerpiece of this episode, we decided to bring in Darnell Shields, executive director of Austin Coming Together to talk about his organization, its history, their amazing strategic plan for the neighborhood, and what some of his favorite spots on the west side are. We'll be back right after this with an awesome spoken word piece and a special completely improvised build song by the youth we just had to show you. So you better stick around. Don't go anywhere. And you're listening to Build Radio. That's right, you're listening to Build Radio here on the Build Radio Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. We have another very special guest for this segment, Darnell Shields. Welcome to the studio, sir. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, so you are the executive director of Austin Coming Together. That's right. Can you tell us a little bit about what Austin Coming Together is? Sure. Uh, Austin Coming Together is a, uh, so we're a collective impact agency. Mm -hmm. Uh, We basically manage a network of uh, nonprofits, faith-based organizations, uh, public and private entities that are all really uh, committed to improving the quality of life here in the Austin community. Mm-hmm. Right now we have about uh, 54 uh, member organizations Ooh. that are make up our network. And so that really kind of uh, com- is comprised of um, nonprofits, local and um, international even, um, as well as university, schools, small businesses, and even uh, neighborhood associations as well. It's phenomenal. How how old is the organization? Uh, actually, next year we'll be ten years old. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess I thought it was older. Um, how did how did it begin? Well, uh, we, it started. We started up in 2010, um, and it really was um, through sort of the uh, culmination of various leaders in the community coming together around you know really kind of recognizing that they were all dealing with the same challenges and serving the same population. Mm-hmm. And it was about uh, maybe 10 to 15 uh, leaders, mostly that lead different organizations here now, human service providers. Um, and they really wanted to recognize how they could um, sort of approach the siloing that they all were sort of engaged in and some of the efforts of being disjointed and the kind of uh, small uh, the, the efforts that they were putting forth that were small in scale, they really wanted to figure out how they can be better connected, linked up, and then be able to really sort of uh, maximize and optimize the impact in the community. Sure. How did you find your way there? What's kind of your background and trajectory? Uh, actually, I came on as a volunteer huh. in 2010. Uh, one of the founding members, uh, Ruth Kimball, she, um, she actually operates a child care center here in Austin. Uh, her and my mother were really good friends. 
And um, she was also started a nonprofit called the Austin Child Care Providers Network, which I uh, was currently volunteering at her center, helping with business development and mm-hmm. uh, some technology stuff um, with her child care providers. And when this whole thing around Austin coming together sort of emerged and started to take shape, she really uh, kind of advocated for me to get involved because I was a community resident yeah. and, you know, someone that um, could. she thought I could sort of lend a hand and, and ha- add some value to it. Sure. What was, tell us a little bit about your experience growing up in Austin. Man, my experience growing up in Austin. So actually, I, I grew up uh, just a couple of blocks from here oh. in South Austin. Um, initially, uh, went to Louis Armstrong School mm-hmm. uh, when it was a branch, and uh, <laughs> they were kind of separated. It's interesting, the school dynamic back then, um, it's like you went to uh, one building for, you know, maybe one or two, three grades, and then you actually move to another building because now it's middle school, and, mm-hmm. and then you go on to, uh, you know, connecting to graduate. But uh, back then, Austin was, um, I have great experiences and memories of being in Austin, uh, at least up until about, uh, you know, my 11th, 12th birthday, uh, because, you know, Columbus Park, I grew up right down the street from mm-hmm. Columbus Park. I lived on Gladys. Sure. And, man, you know, the swimming pool and, <laughs> and the different things that you could gain access to. I remember fishing yeah, in the fishing uh, that lagoon. Lake. Yeah. Uh, my dad he used to work for the railroad, and so you know, on his days off, you know, that's what we looked forward to doing, and uh, it was it was it was nice. Uh, Austin, um, you know, was was something that it was pretty safe. It back then, you know, I wasn't really concerned about that, and and you know, it was more family oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, things kind of to change in, in South Austin, um, as I you know, as we came up to the '80s, because um, I was kind of approaching going into fifth grade, fourth fifth grade. And I remember uh, us having to move uh, to North Austin. And, you know, I believe because there were some things that happened to my older brother um, where questioning his safety and so forth. Mm-hmm. And I guess my parents were just like, um, you know, hey, we got a family first. And so we moved to North Austin, which was very different because uh, initially uh, we lived in an apartment building. And so we moved to North Austin. Uh, we had purchased a home. And so now I'm growing up in a house, and I'm on this block with, you know, all these homeowners and so forth. Uh, We had a block club and everything. So it was really cool uh, being over in that area. And I ended up going to the local school uh, right around the corner, uh, St. Angela, one of the Catholic schools over there. And it was Austin at that time, or at least in North Austin, it was very diverse. Um, You know, I had friends from all different nationalities, uh, at least up until I went to high school. And then um, once uh, I got into high school, things started to change, which was like in the late uh, 80s. And a lot of those friends and folks that, you know, uh, of different backgrounds, they were no longer in the community and also started to notice you know, the stores that I used to go to on Division Street and so forth, like all those places were kind of leaving and going away. Like there used to be a movie theater right there on the mm-hmm. corner of uh, Division and Monitor, the Rockney Theater. We used to love going there for yeah. dollar shows. <laughs> that was the thing to do. Right. And then it's like one night's gone. And so just re- remember just having to like go further and further out to mm-hmm. get into activities, to go to the park and, and, and engage in different things yeah. growing up. Um, and it really did kind of put the sense in me that, like, you know, if I wanted to be successful um, in my life, I had to, like, seek elsewhere, you sure. know, really seek outside of Austin. I think that's one of the reasons why I ended up going to high school 
really, really far, like uh, maybe an hour away from my house downtown. Wow. Which uh, one? Uh, near North. Okay. Yeah, and I, it, it, I just didn't see myself uh, succeeding locally. Yeah. Yeah. You go to college after that? Or? Uh, not directly. Uh-huh. I, I didn't go to college directly. I, I was I was slated to go to college, and, uh, you know, life happens. Of course it does. Different things. Uh, go down, and I ended up uh, going with my plan B and ended up going into the family business. Uh, My family owned a salon, and um, so I became a licensed barber and started doing hair Mm -hmm. in the salon and taking care of my family. Did that for probably about 10 years or so uh, Mm -hmm. before I actually uh, sort of got the, you know, sort of uh, inspiration to go back to school. For sure. And ended up going to uh, Wright College in 2004. And um, just went on a path to uh, getting a degree in uh, business entrepreneurship and ended up transferring over to UIC and um, finished up and got my uh, got two associate's degrees and a a bachelor's. Wow. All right. So let's get into act stuff. So you guys made quite a splash uh, with releasing the quality of life plan last year. Uh, Can you tell us what uh, quality of life plan or QLP is? Yeah, so a, a quality of life plan, and this is actually a um, is actually a process to be able to harness um, the sort of um, uh, all of the different things that individuals in the community are, you know, in terms of like actions and activities that they want to see happen that will influence the solutions to the issues that they have identified in their community. And it's basically the process was started up by an organization called LIST, the Local mm-hmm. Initiatives uh, Support Corporation, which they're a national organization, but the local um, uh, hub here, they basically facilitated, uh, I believe, over 25 of these plans in various communities throughout Chicago. And what 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 it results in is a comprehensive uh, plan that really does sort of map out kind of like how do you invest mm-hmm. in, in a community um, that may be challenged around different areas like public safety or housing and so forth that harnesses, you know, the community voice. Gotcha. It seemed like a massive undertaking, at least reading about it. How, how, what was the process like of putting that all together? Yeah, yeah. We, we sort of refer to it as a massive body of work. <laughs> uh, it's, 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 it's a huge undertaking. I mean, you know, while we didn't, we were more of the stewards of the plan. We, we helped facilitate it, but it, it really was the efforts of, you know, community residents and other stakeholders in the community really kind of like putting forth their ideals. And so that's a large part of the work for about mm-hmm. maybe 24 months. Wow. We actually had to go through a process of organizing folks in the community in terms of building a steering committee so that we could um, you know, build their capacity to leverage their networks mm-hmm. so that now we can have a greater representation of individuals, their thoughts, insights, observations, and things that we could now synthesize um, and, you know, kind of take them through a process to synthesize Mm -hmm. so that we can now create this narrative um, that would be instructive in terms of, you know, policy, uh, service provision, investment as well. And so that's what we did over that time. And throughout that process, I think we had maybe three um, convenings, large forums, where you bring it together with, you know, everyone that's involved so that everybody can kind of see who's in this process. Because even more so than devising the strategies and everything, it's more so about the journey for us. It was more about 
people coming together and really um, hearing from one another and starting to like relate and build mm-hmm. relationships and know know that their what they're challenged with and what they're looking at is not happening in a vacuum. And so once we got to that stage, I think um, because it was set up that way, I think we were really able to harness, um, you know, sort of more of the majority's voice around Mm -hmm. particular issue areas. And it ended up being about seven of them overall. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I'm very proud of, you know, what my neighbors and, and folks in the community uh, that I share with them came up with. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, the ultimate product is is gorgeous. As I was <laughs> telling you earlier, I'd recommend all listeners uh, go to austincominggether.org and make sure to check that out. There's a PDF or something of that to read through with pictures and graphs and charts and everything. And it's it's it's, it's impressive, inspiring, um, but it's 70 pages long. So right. for those that do not have the time to read through that whole thing, uh, Darnell, can you give us a little bit of some of your, like, the key ideas or strategies or goals that sh- most excite you? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, the plan is it's so it's it's there's 84 actions in the plan and there is actually 23 strategies. And within that, it, it, it uh, breaks really kind of uh, is derived from seven issue areas. Mm-hmm. So community narrative uh, was an issue area, housing, public safety, education, economic development, um, and um, civic engagement. And I'm blanking on probably what the last one was. But um, but for the most part, you had these different issue areas that uh, folks really kind of put forth as these were the impediments um, that they saw to their success. And sort of the process of taking people through uh, being able to kind of gain consensus mm-hmm. around, you know, what actions can we take yeah. to actually be able to approach these issues and, 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 you know, really start to, like, create some solutions around them and attract the resources we need and so forth, um, really sort of, you know, got codified into the plan. And, you know, now it's like once you have the plan, then, you know, the next steps is really looking at, okay, how, how do we implement this? Mm-hmm. How do we move into implementation? How do we actualize everything that everyone sort of poured mm-hmm. into and has, you know, kind of cried out that these are the things we need help with? Mm-hmm. So tell us, how do you? How do you implement such a comprehensive, exhaustive project plan? Well, the, the, the funny reality. thing was... Um, with all of the plans that, um, you know, that we kind of took note of that was taken, that has taken place, you know, over the years, um, you know, we didn't really see where there was sort of a guide on how do you actually implement these plans. And so I think for us, we really did have to take a step back and think about like mobilizing, like how do we, what's our process for mobilization Mm -hmm. um, to be able to sort of design action plans or be able to design the way forward. And so basically what we did, we actually um, were able to engage uh, some of our, through our community partners and uh, philanthropic partners, able to bring on some support from the uh, corporate world where uh, Solemn uh, Consulting actually came on, helped us to design sort of a uh, some project management tools that we could now be able to um, lend to our community members to really sort to provide some infrastructure mm-hmm. and a platform for implementation. Gotcha. And basically what it looks like is it's, it allows us to be able to create some task force 
and have a structure to those task force that actually um, involve a chair, which is basically a community resident, someone that, you know, is really passionate about that particular issue, Mm -hmm. uh, but also has some expertise or knowledge around it, and then have strategy leads uh, underneath uh, the chair, which are pretty much individuals that probably work for different organizations Mm -hmm. and, you know, have expertise in that particular area. And then the implementation partners, which are the actual sort of organizations on the ground that have capacity and competency and in most cases are already moving um, those activities or or either, you know, facilitating them on some level. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So I'm just wondering, uh, I feel like I have to wonder, based on what you've seen from LISC, the Local Initiatives uh, Support Corporation, uh, they've helped facilitate these 24 different QOPs since 2000. Um, How are these other communities that have implemented this plan, how are they faring in realizing their goals? Overall, I I think the quality of life plans have really, they've been a great tool Mm -hmm. at, um, you know, sort of harnessing community voice and really kind of steering, directing uh, the activities that go forth within these communities. And it provides a great opportunity or has provided a great opportunity to uh, align efforts, whether it be, um, you know, citywide or um, statewide, regionally, around, you know, what needs to happen in a neighborhood and, like, how does the neighborhood... um, kind of lend to the larger uh, platform and then what's the implications for the neighborhoods when Mm -hmm. things are happening and decisions are being made, you know, on a larger scale. Yeah. Um, And and we've kind of seen that with uh, some of the other communities that we've taken note of, like, for example, Inglewood, Mm -hmm. uh, they actually did a uh, revamp or a second uh, quality of life plan because the first quality of life plan that they did, I believe it was maybe 10 years ago, um, maybe a little bit longer. But, you know, they've already, you're seeing some of the results of that, you know, with like the bringing in of the Whole Foods, the investment of Whole Foods, and and sort of some of the other activities, the strengthening of their community groups like uh, Teamwork, uh, Inglewood, and Rage, Mm -hmm. and so forth. And so there's just greater organization and coordination on the ground. And then there's also been a lot of uh, investment uh, in Inglewood. You know, while they still have a ways to go, it's, it, there's a lot more being put in place to, you know, create more hope and be able to actually approach some of those issues over mm-hmm. the long term. What is the time frame, do you think, for this project? Is this like a 50-year thing? Like, is this 25? Is this 10? And what, you know, and what uh, time frame do you think residents can expect to start seeing some of the, the goals start to actually be tangible? So for our quality of life plan, while our launch started in 2019, um, it's actually, we're, we're planning out based on a five-year scope. Okay. And so, you know, by 2023, you know, we have some milestones that we're mm-hmm. looking to be able to achieve. And it's something that we've really been teasing out through the action planning process where we're looking at, okay, how do we prioritize, you know, what's sort of immediate and what's long-term? So basically, like, will this happen in one to two years, two to three years or three to five or maybe even beyond. Mm -hmm. And that really sort of um, dictates, you know, what do we prioritize and what do we start to really kind of take action on. And so what residents can expect, you know, every year we're committed to really reporting annually, um, you know, through a uh, forum that we host in November um, what the progress has been. And, you know, we also try to, you know, every quarter, we publish a, uh, through the Austin Weekly News, we publish an update to mm-hmm. kind of give people, you know, some context moving into that year, like what's happening. And one of the things that uh, we already had an action 
that uh, we've accomplished um, basically in less than six months of the plan being mm. released. So one of the actions in education was around um, having an IB uh, high school in, uh, in Austin be established. And just recently, uh, Michelle Clark uh, has achieved that, that distinction. And a lot of the efforts that, you know, helped them move towards that was, you know, through the actual action planning of the uh, quality of life plan. So, what is IB? Is that? Uh, international Balacarate. It's okay. a distinction of a, um, a high school, certain type of education that you'll be able to take in to go into college. Oh, phenomenal. Okay. Yeah. Great. And it's the, the first of its kind here on the West oh, Side. All right, right. <laughs> wonderful. Um, so in addition, ACT has developed the Thrive 2025 strategy uh, focused on improving four critical community well-being indicators by 2025, which is uh, increasing third grade success in math and reading, increased number of families living above the poverty line, decrease the rate of violent crime, and stabilize the median residual property value in Austin. Can you expand a little bit on how ACT and uh, its partners are going about achieving these goals and how progress has been going since it started? Yeah, so Thrive 2025 is, is uh, Austin Coming Together strategic plan. Mm-hmm. So it's basically our uh, initiatives around 10, uh, based on 10 years, uh, we're looking at like how can we make a significant impact in Austin to really improve the quality of life and, you know, really looking at like over 60% um, getting some gains in these different areas. And while the areas are really focused on qual- uh, quality of learning, living wage careers, neighborhood safety, and the housing market, there's an intersection uh, and overlap into other things like health mm-hmm. as well as um, uh, the other areas around education in terms of like after-school youth and, and opportunity youth and so forth. But primarily it's based on these community well-being indicators. So like with quality early learning, we're really looking at um, sort of making sure that the third graders within the Austin community are meeting or exceeding state math reading standards. How did you choose that grade level? And so that it really that came about through a lot of the uh, research and efforts that we were putting forth early on around education and mm-hmm. what everybody was looking at in terms of what are we being responsive to mm-hmm. with uh, young people as far as like um, you know the quality of our schools and the different trauma and things like that yeah. and like why why so many of our young people leave the community, uh, you know, once they get past the elementary school ages. And you had to start to think about, okay, how do we start earlier mm-hmm. in terms of prevention and creating a more quality environment for those young people to be able to get access to the um, resources that they need and stability they need early on? Because it's basically saying data shows that if a child isn't on track by third grade, they'll pretty much struggle, you know, mm, throughout okay. the rest of their education uh, platform. Gotcha. Um, so I want to congratulate you guys. You uh, ACT received some amazing grants from the MacArthur Foundation last year. Um, so snaps, snaps to that. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the organization's plan to how you guys are going to use those resources? Well, actually, so the MacArthur grant, um, you know, thank you, MacArthur uh, <laughs> Foundation. Uh, that was It was great to uh, receive that grant and have that distinction. Um, But basically, you know, what the grant entails is really to support this whole process for mobilizing for implementation and specifically where we have member organizations that are identified in the quality of life plan to um, actually implement those actions that also align with one of those four impact areas, Hmm. um, impact goals. And, you know, the, the way we're looking at it as, 
it's twofold. One is actually building acts capacity to be able to manage that process, but then also being able to be responsive to the uh, financial needs and resource needs that our organizations may have once we make that identification that these organizations actually, you know, they're driving the existing efforts that they're mm-hmm. doing is driving towards actually moving the needle on those impact goals and it aligns with the quality of life plan. Sure. So we're in a position to be able to actually fund uh, provide small grants to those agencies to make sure that, you know, they can move past any barriers or, you know, really kickstart yeah. uh, towards moving the needle on that goal. Spread the wealth. Like, it's like empowering a whole, like, rather than just one agency or something like that, the whole community. I don't know how you would even turn that down. Like, read read through the plan. Look look at the plan. It is amazing. Do you know if any of the other communities that have been through the QOP process with LISC have been awarded MacFound grants? Uh, actually, you know what? I believe there was other um, uh, Brighton Park, and I'm not sure if they have a quality of life plan, but I know mm-hmm. they were also awarded uh, to the same level that we were. And I know they, are com- they have community priorities that they're moving towards, um, as well as uh, Bronzeville. Um, was also a part of that uh, cohort mm-hmm. of grant funding that you know went towards community-wide efforts. Gotcha. So, Darnell, tell me what the response was like when the Quality of Life Plan came out. It seems like it's just kind of like this is what hope looks like laid out. You know what? I, I think it was mixed. For some people, it was, it was surreal. I mean, because, you know, this was the first time that the Austin community has had a quality of life mm-hmm. plan or, you know, any plan for that matter that really like kind of synthesize uh, views from across the entire community and really is looking to take an ambitious focus at community-wide efforts mm-hmm. that would impact Austin. Um, and so, you know, f- even for me, I had to kind of pinch myself a little bit to say, man, we actually, you know, here's the document. It's mm-hmm. it's actually, look at all the representation of views in it. And uh, because it's so massive, but, you know, f- for the most part, we had so many people that were just like, you know, just joy, you know, just experiencing an amount of joy that I didn't even expect because, yeah. You know, while I've been in this work maybe, you know, for the last 10 years, there's so many other people in this community that have been really trying to push things forward for, for decades. And, you know, for to see their response and their reaction to it, to say, like, hey, we envisioned this years ago and, you know, we now have it, um, you know, it was it was emotional. A lot of people... Yeah. Um, you know, there were tears shed. Yeah. There were so many different, uh, and then there was so many representatives that were there in terms of the vanguards and the community that were able to actually speak to mm-hmm. and share that emotion with the crowd. Yeah. And, you know, we had over 300 people that came out to the release, which, um, you know, was just a great showing of support. Yeah. And, and and it was a sign of hope. I yeah. think people, you know, really realize, you know, they, it resonated with them that, you know, hey, we we are we are stronger together. Yeah. Mm. And if we can just push that forward yeah. and, and have what we need, the tools yeah. to bring it forth, you know, then anything's possible. Amen. I mean, and yeah, it's one thing to have a bunch of sporadic groups with noble missions and stuff kind of going about in sporadic ways. But when you get all these folks together and you put it into this masterfully crafted document that it's like, we thought of everything. Like, we thought of everything. Yeah. I'm sure that really and, and the only way you can do that is if you consider what everything that everybody has to offer. Yeah. Like, everybody in this community has value. 
And we're not going to get there if we don't acknowledge everyone. Mm -hmm. We have to acknowledge acknowledge everyone's um, plight, and we have to acknowledge everyone's interests and really understand where it it intersects and, you know, craft our way forward from there. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, Darnell, thank you for your, your service. <laughs> so, no problem. Um, so I forgot to mention in the beginning, but I just want to say how much um, Build and, and um, ACT have partnered together with events like Summer of Opportunity, which has been an amazing transformative way uh, to show that there's you know still a lot of life and energy and enthusiasm and synergy going on within Austin. Um, in addition, Light in the Night, where you take back some parks that are generally really hot gang areas and have you know barbecues and sports and games and all sort of stuff, hoops on the block um, as well. And so I just want to ask you, we hear so much negative stuff about Austin from the violence to robberies and crimes and stuff like that. Why is Austin also amazing? Like, what are some of the your favorite parts of the community um, and some of your favorite spots, too, in the community, maybe? I mean, uh, honestly, my, f- my favorite part of the community is the people. Sure. Um, you know, and I'm not just saying that because I'm from Austin and I'm, uh, you know, an Austinite. But I, I, th- I just think in, given what this community has gone through over the last 50 years, um, to, to be able to really take note of the resilience and see how people still pave a way forward in this community is it, just, you know, it's an attribute to, you know, how great they are mm-hmm. and, and they just don't give up and, yeah. and they want to see their community thrive. They want their families to thrive and they continue to endure. Um, and so, you know, to me, that just exudes greatness. And, you know, I just really value my neighbors and, and value being around them. Like I always tell my friends, I mean, you're in Austin, there's never a dull moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think I've been bored since uh, I was probably about like five. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you definitely see as far as people being out and about and talking, you know, sit on the porch, like just something like that, engaging with the people around them. You don't see that on the north side. Really. Oh, yeah. And Austinites keep it real. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. You don't got to guess. Are there some some spots maybe for folks coming through? Like either good food that you like, place to go get music, listen to music, stuff to do. Oh yeah, that's definitely, like, man. I mean, Madison Street. You got to go to MacArthur's, man. Uh-huh. That that's one of my favorite spa- spaces to uh, hit and hang out. Anytime I have somebody come to Austin, I got to take them over there cool. and get some of that good soul food. And uh, you know, there's a couple other spots too. This place on North Avenue, uh, six nine seven eight. Mm-hmm. It's another place that I go there in the Galewood area of Austin as well. And you can go there and have some nice libation and so forth as well. So, and we got a lot of great parks uh-huh. here. You know, yeah. Columbus Park yeah. is is like one of the gems of the city. Yeah. Um, if you haven't been to Columbus Park, you're really not experienced in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Darnell Shields, thank you so much for coming by the studio, man, coming on the show, um, talking about the future, the bright future of Austin. And uh, it's very lucky to have people like you spearheading that process. Hey, um, thanks for the opportunity. And uh, yeah, all the best. If we really want to end the violence in Chicago, we need to go beyond put the guns down. We need to change the story about what it means to grow up black or brown in Chicago. We need to make the potential of the young people the focus, not just our problems. We need to transform lives to create hope and build futures. We can't do it alone. Invest in our potential. Chicago young people are worth it. A very impressive voice in and for the community. 
We wanted to thank Darnell so much for coming in and for Austin coming together for being the phenomenal partner in hope to build that it has been. We're thankful to them for the impactful work that they do in the community and all the amazing partner organizations that we have the pleasure of being able to affect such positive change with. Now, before we go, we've got two short creative pieces for you we think you'll like. The first one is a spoken word piece written by Ashley Miller, manager of our community violence and support services team. We thought it flowed real well with the theme of the episode, so we hope you enjoy it. Freestyle Poetry, AJLM. All I want for Christmas is lives saved. Mama in the kitchen pouring love into that food. Gift paper lying all around. Jackson 5 singing, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. I paused because Christmas wasn't like that for me. I would have to run and scavenge the streets, scrape and slave while I watch other kids play. Trying my best not to come off as jealous, but it was hard. I come from the projects, roaches and rats, gang banging and shooting craps, New Year's Eve busting gats, you know, all the cool things to do in the hood. But like Biggie said, and it's still all good. I come from one woman who did her best, sown good qualities into me. I'm the kid that will walk down the street and try to feed the hungry. I'm the friend that will console this homie, but go home still lonely. So I see these babies today and I see me. I ain't pushing no college bread philosophy. I'm cut from concrete. You know that Rose Pac spoke about? If you place technology in the 80s and 90s, the things we see wouldn't be no different. Imagine Facebook in those 16-story buildings. Stories of money stacked to the ceiling, viral. Shootouts from building to building, viral. Footwork would have been took over the dance world. But they missed that Tom and Jerry phase. Phase two would have been D-Lo, out west Pelly Pels and mink coats. We would have knew Don Juan before Snoop. I'm just saying. All I want for Christmas is for adults from way back to think about what they did at that age. Turn the page. Expose them to the unknown. If they like cars, take them to car shows. Pour all the things you wanted as a kid into our youth. If we are rewriting anything, our youth depend on you. And that's that piece. They depend on you. That's the truth. They depend on all of us. Because it takes a village. And we're so thankful to all of you that have helped to build this one. Now, to close out the episode, we've got a fun one. It was an unprepared, spontaneous recording, and we hope you smile as you catch a glimpse of the creative spirit that's just ever flowing through Build. Hear Naisha singing an improvised Build-themed hook, Damo freestyling his truth of coming up on the west side, and Cortez rapping about books and growing as a young man. If you would rap to me, it'd be wrong. Remember days in the basement, ain't no time, I can't waste it, man. These bullets gotta face, man. Playing minimum, yeah, I 
Hey, and I ain't pin up on the mission, man. I'm trying to make this money, get my family straight. And I ain't messing up, boy, gotta make the weight. Cause remember days I was eating up for plate plates. Now I gotta go and get it, gotta show the weight. Man, I need a bag, need a sack, gotta get it right. I'm in Bill with Benji up and Mac, doing it right. If the nigga won't wait, then we pull up in the place. But I ain't quick to take the life, I don't quick to do the right. And I'm just messed up, gotta get it Build lives, tell them, and you can join our mission to save more and more of Chicago's young people and empower them with, as you've heard, an enormous array of programs and opportunities. And support can take many forms. If you like what you hear, show us some love on social media at Build Chicago, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and of course, a reviewer rating of this podcast on iTunes would mean so, 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 so much. If you want to take your support to the next level, you can make a donation. You can do so on our website one time, monthly, or annually. No amount is too small or too large. Perhaps you got some spare time to donate. There are tons of ways you can get involved. Email volunteer at buildchicago.org to find out more. As always, make sure you subscribe to our email list to receive our newsletter, The Builder, full of inspiring agency updates straight to your inbox. You can do so from the homepage of our website. Build is growing quicker and embarking on new exciting initiatives almost by the day. So join in on our mission as we continue to greater and greater heights. Say thank you to those who helped you get to where you are in your life by empowering others with such opportunities. By paying it forward, you're paying it back. So to 50 holiday seasons of making spirits bright, I think we can say cheers to that. For Build Radio, I've been Benji Wax, and I'm thankful for you. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode, and do some good out there. Build hope, build lives, and build futures.